This is the Hot Take Hockey Podcast with your hosts, Lucas and John Viveros. Hey everyone, this is the Hot Take Hockey Podcast Show, episode two. I'm John Viveros. This is the legend, Lucas Viveros, a little NHL represent. And we're excited to bring you the show for the whole season. I hope you guys enjoyed episode one. Just a little bit of an intro to talk about ourselves, our goals for this show, and just what we got coming. So we're so excited for this episode. We have a huge guest on this show and we're finally able to reveal who it is. So two-time cup champ, 11-year NHLer, Christopher Stieg is coming on the show today. So he's going to come and talk about his career, latest NHL news, guys that he played with uh, who have been on the move. Uh, He'll talk about his company that he's gotten going with his brothers, post-career, clever. Uh, I'll talk about it here because big time respects to Steve for coming on and clever is the sponsor for the show. So just to talk about Clever quick, because we want to give Rusty some shout. Uh, Clever streamlines the video sharing process between coaches, parents, and athletes. Clever also is a marketplace where you can reach out to some of the top coaches on the planet for video ins- or for video instant video feedback and buy their skills, drills, and practices. So from what I've got from Rusty, and Lucas will talk a little bit about his interactions uh, leading into us getting him on the show. Uh, it seems really cool. It seems really uh, interactive and convenient. Uh, for young players and players of all ages to get in contact with former NHLers, uh, skilled guys, coaches, uh, whoever it is. Uh, and it seems just really convenient. So uh, Lucas, excited for episode two here. Just your interaction and what, obviously we watched for Steve with the Leafs and a few other teams. Uh, what was your kind of, I would say, like, what did you get out of Versteeg's career watching him over the years? And now obviously talking to him personally, uh, just through communication and leading into the show and being yeah. able to get him on. Yeah. Yeah. First thoughts on Chris. Awesome guy. Like I'm so happy. He, uh, he was, he was down to do this with us. Like I'm, I'm so excited for you guys to see the interview. Um, but Chris, uh, you know, he's got, he comes from, uh, he's got a family with a couple of young kids. So that's kind of what inspired him to do clever. Uh, cause he wanted to, uh, you know, teach his kids the way of the game, uh, in, in a different way than he was taught. Um, so that's really what inspired him and his brother to get this thing going. Uh, as an NHLer, I mean, Chris Versteeg was, he was everything I loved in a hockey player, right? It's a guy who he buries the, he buries the puck, but what does he do? He tries every shift. He leaves it out on the ice. Uh, so when he came to the Leafs in 2010, I was like stoked over the moon. Cause he had just won a cup with the Blackhawks. Um, but yeah, this guy, he's been around the league. He's played for seven different teams, um, but he's really known for the, those times on the Blackhawks when he won the cup twice. Um, but you know, a leaf memory for me, a big leaf memory was one of the goals he scored uh, to tie the game versus Boston. Uh, and I th- think it was Caverle who, who sent him the pass, if I'm not mistaken. But Caverle was on the ice. Caverle, yeah. Kadri, uh, Versteeg, like it, it was it was awesome to see him on the Leafs, even if it was only for one short year there. But uh, yeah, thrilled to, thrilled to get him for you guys and uh, ask him some different questions about his time in the league, as well as uh, his his uh, passions right now with Clever. Yeah, honestly, really excited. So you guys will see Chris later on the show. We're going to get him on uh, this episode. And yeah, as I said, talk about some late, like latest NHL news. And it's kind of funny as we're, and this was unintentional completely. Like us getting Versteeg on was already, like we were already getting it in motion. And then the Kadri signing happens. The Monaghan trade happens. And Kessel now signs with Vegas. And Versteeg played with all three of those guys. So it's just kind of funny how that works. So we're going to get Versteeg's thoughts on all three of those moves and all three of those players. And yeah, I'm honestly, I'm really excited to talk about it. So just for our own opinions, Lucas, we'll get Versteeg's thoughts. Uh, the Kadri signing, I think for yourself, 
you have a guy in the same household as you, who's the biggest Nazem Kadri fan on the planet. Yep. So uh, for, for what you know from Nick, seeing Kadri win with the abs for these constant rumors that went on for weeks, like, again, no disrespect, but there was like John Shannon was going on shows. Like a lot of analysts were going on shows with the, for the Islanders. Kadri is going to the Islanders. 100%. Yep. This will be done within the week. This will be announced within the week. And then he signs with the flames. So what was your thoughts on that? I mean, I'll give my thoughts and I've already kind of made a video on it, but what was your thoughts when all that went down and what was Nick's thoughts who were like yeah. the biggest Kadri fan in the house? Yeah. I think the Islanders were kind of always there, you know, checking in on Kadri, but uh, at the end of the day, um, for one, I mean, Calgary, I think presents a, a, a better option for Kadri to win right now, especially after the trades that they made uh, after they lost Goudreau and Kachuk, you know, bringing yeah. in Huberto, bringing in Uyghur. Um, but uh, so I think the Islanders were always lurking and, and thought about signing him seriously. Um, but I don't know if that was Kadri's, you know, first, first choice, um, but I think it's a great fit. Like personally, uh, we can go into detail later or on future shows about the Calgary flames, but I think they're built right now. Uh, like for playoffs, this might be a hot take better than they were, you know, with Goudreau and Kachuk. Like I, I really believe, you know, adding a guy like Kadri who who's had success against McDavid uh, in the past uh, with, with the Leafs, like shutting him yeah. down. And he's always been known as a shutdown center against the other team's top players. I think, uh, you know, Cal Calgary's going to get a lot out of him. Maybe not at the back end of that deal, but for present day right now, first couple of years, I think it's a great signing for Calgary. What about you, John? Yeah, I'm not about to start our uh, fresh, long episode two here by crapping on a newly signed Leaf, but Callie Yarncrow was the other center, the other guy lined up up the middle for the Calgary Flames in the playoffs. And not to say that it was like this huge disadvantage, huge um, letdown for the Calgary Flames in that aspect, because I look at Jacob Markstrom and what he did in that series or what he didn't do in that series, yeah. obviously that big letdown. But you look at the matchup game and the Oilers for most of that series were running three centers, McDavid, Dreisaitl, Nugent Hopkins. And again, no disrespect, but you have Lindholm, Backlund, Yarncrow, who yeah. Yarncrow doesn't even play. Like he has played center, but Sutter played him there because he thought it was a better for the matchup game. And I mean, now you have Kadri who has proven to match up against Connor McDavid yeah. along with two other centers who are very defensively reliable in Lindholm and Backlund. So you have now three centers who can match up against any centers in the league, basically. I mean, it's hilarious to me that I think Backlund's probably right away the best third-line center in the league right now. I mean, yeah. I could be wrong on that. I, I like I, This is just off the top of my head a statement, but, I mean, he, not one of the best. He's the best third-line center in the game right now. So I think for the Calgary Flames, kind of what you said, I mean, Sutter's style and now Uyghur, as much as Uyghur had his defensive issues in the playoffs and, and got ripped to shreds a couple times against the Lightning – like you have a lot of good defensive defensemen there for Calgary. And to me, I think uh, Tanev is probably one of the most underrated defensive defensemen in the league. So, I mean, I just, I look at the Calgary Flames and what you said, I mean, maybe you could talk about top end skill, not being mm -hmm. there to the level it was, but yeah. I, I mean, Huberto's still top notch and yeah, you know what? You can debate the contract length all you want, but we're talking about for the now. And I think for, for the, the now, right the Calgary now. Flames are still as competitive as they were, if not, uh, more in some ways. So, uh, yeah, I guess for you, did you, did you expect the Calgary flames to turn it around in any sense, or were you on that train of like, Oh, this team's done. This team's going to the bottom of the Pacific real fast. Well, I mean, if you, if you're looking at it, um, 
you know, as the days were going by there, I mean, it became pretty clear Goudreau was, was probably going to leave. Obviously, as we got closer to free agency, you know, as soon as free agency day hits, you know, at midnight, he can no longer get the eight years from Calgary. So yeah. obviously when that happened, you knew he was gone. Uh, and so you always were thinking, okay, how's this going to f- affect Kachuk? And uh, for him to, uh, you know, I think he did them a solid, giving them a full year uh, to trade him before, you know, he was a UFA, walked to UFA, right? Yeah. Uh, so, so, I mean, this has got to be one of the best performances from a GM uh, in terms of the hand he was dealt uh, in Bradtree Living, what he did here to bring in Huberto, Uyghur, and Kadri. I mean, like you said, the top end skill might not be as uh, as prolific as it once was with Goudreau and Kachuk. I mean, you lost two thirds of one of the best lines in the league. Yeah. But uh, but like you were alluding to with that blue line, that blue line is it's got to be one of the best now, right? I mean, it doesn't have that maybe elite level defenseman that you can, you know, think of when you think of the top ones in the game, like Hedman, Ayosi, Makar, but one through six, it's, it's pretty solid. Uh, and they got, if Markstrom can rebound from that terrible playoffs that he had, yeah. one of the best goalies in the league. So I lo- I'm high on Calgary, John. I'm really high on Calgary. Yeah. I was also just going to say, not to say that I'm going to entertain this conversation, but Flames fans on this high from getting Huberto and they getting Kadri were, I don't know, they, they were speculating that based on Makar's kind words about Calgary to Kadri that, oh, Makar might make his home return <laughs> come to Calgary. But I'm not going to, I'm not going to speculate on that front, but I mean, Hey, uh, Calgary, they got a really complete defense. Maybe they go after that star one day, but yeah, uh, definitely a complete defense and a defense that uh, Sutter will probably love. So just kind of, yeah, I mean, we, we know what Kadri can do. And at, the, at least for the very now, we, we saw what he did in the playoffs. If he's healthy, he doesn't get suspended. We know how deadly he can be in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. So kind of transferring over to Monaghan, who, and I kind of talked to you about this, and Thomas and I have a buddy that's related to Monaghan. So it just, it kind of mm-hmm. worked funny that days before free agency, Monaghan was getting married and Johnny Goudreau and many other Flames guys and former Flames guys were at this wedding. <laughs> so it's like you have... Goudreau, Monaghan, and other guys going to this wedding that it's like a couple guys leaving, yeah. uh, a couple guys that just recently left, and then now Monaghan who's gotten moved. Um, and, it, and that's actually happened a couple times this offseason. Like Bjorkstrand got married, went on his honeymoon, and then it, and then it got told he was getting traded on his honeymoon. And then Monaghan just got married, and now he's getting moved to Montreal. Uh, so just based on your, I guess, knowledge of Monaghan and uh, kind of, I don't know if you watched his video, but uh, do you, do you feel like this is a guy that can turn it around or at least, I mean, he's got one year left in this deal. Uh, what were your thoughts on that whole kind of situation? Kadri and Monaghan out. Yeah. And maybe we should just touch on quickly. Did the Islanders make a brutal mistake by not dropping that first fight to dump like the Bailey contract, for example, to do exactly what the flames did to bring in Kadri. Cause I think that's mm-hmm. what it was. And Lamarella was just not having it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll start, I'll start with the flames start with them, and, yeah. and Monaghan. Monahan, sure. uh, addressing Monahan, I think, you know, Monahan's been on the decline a little bit the last handful of years. He hasn't produced like he once did major uh, injury or injury lo- issues. lots of injury issues with that guy. Yeah. Uh, Cause he was, he was pretty dynamite when he first came on the scene. Um, you know, going to Montreal, uh, how, how Montreal acquired him very, very low buy. I think, I think Montreal did pretty well here considering they get a first round pick and he only has one year left. Oh, such uh, a low risk. And yeah, you get a yeah. first round pick. Ken Hughes exactly. looks like a genius. Yeah. And Montreal's not, Montreal's not really challenging this year with, with some of the other teams in the Atlantic that have stepped up. 
yeah. so I, I think for Montreal, this is a great trade. Uh, and if Monaghan, you know, fits into their team, maybe there's some number they can get him at going forward that it works. And if not, he walks and he's a UFA in a year. Um, so, and then for, for Calgary, they obviously have to do it to make room for Kadri. So yeah. uh, I think this is one of those, t- one of those trades where both teams really win out of it um and and good for both teams to to do that i think the islanders though like you alluded to with the josh bailey contract um they're in this weird limbo period where like at least from a fan's perspective i don't really know um you know where they're at right now i think they definitely can challenge for a playoff spot um and they just had a a poor year last year especially starting on the road with the new building with the building renovations and all that but um they're definitely not one of the upper echelon teams in the league. They're not deep enough for that. So they're kind of in that in-between phase. I don't know how much a cadre would have helped. Obviously you would have made them better, but uh, would it be worth it in, in, in the timeline they have with some of their older players? I, I don't really know. So yeah. What do you think, John, about the Islanders? Like what you think cadre would have been a good fit there? Yes and no. I think, well, I was kind of looking at it as a situation, not to say that I think it's directly similar, but I, and I hate to be that guy that just relates things back to the Leafs, but (laughs) I I look at William Nylander, who was drafted as a center. I'm very, I mean, not as fast as Barzal, but very fast, very skilled. And Nylander's seen so much more success on the wing. So I just, I had this speculation that I was like, imagine a top line of like, I don't know, Lee, Kadri Barzal shift Barzal to the right wing. And then you could stack your next two lines after that. Um, I, I thought maybe, I mean, that would be deep up the middle. I mean, mm-hmm. the Islanders are deep up the middle, regardless. I mean, the fact that you have Zizekas as your fourth line, Pajot as your third line, like yeah, that's, that's depth at the middle, but I mean, even more so having the options of Barzal Kadri taking faceoffs on different sides than having Brock Nelson Pajot, like, I just thought it would probably work out. And I mean, Lamorella was the guy that gave Kadri his last contract. So I thought maybe there was something there. Um, but Kadri, Kadri, he would have walked on first line center on the Islanders. Walked oh, right in. That's what right? I'm saying. It yeah, would have been more of an opportunity for the guy. I think that's why, I mean, that's the only thing I can understand here. I mean, the Flames knew exactly what they had with Monaghan and what it would take to dump that contract. So the only thing that makes sense to me is the holdup was because of the New York Islanders and because of Lamorello. I mean, I get this whole joke that he likes to keep secrets, but there's no chance that it was just directly to keep secrets to wait to announce Dobson and Romanoff and Bellows' contracts. Like he didn't do that just to do it. I'm sorry. Like, I don't believe that. I believe that this was a long thing that went for so long that you have this option to go to the flames. We will announce the move of Monaghan or you're just going to wait for the Islanders. And I mean, of course, I think it also probably had to do with like him wanting a little bit more money, but let's be real. I mean, we talked about it. Kadri, maybe he would have pushed a little bit higher on that seven, but he was never touching that high eights or nine that he was thinking he was going to get per year. I just, I, I at one point, I don't know. I at one point thought he could get a higher number than seven, like maybe eight or more, but I I definitely did not think it would be a seven year deal. I thought maybe eight on a shorter term deal, but after something happened even with John Klingberg, like I, Kadri just won a cup. So it's a different conversation, but I just, I never thought uh, he was going to get like eight times seven right out the gate with um, one of those contenders just because I thought, I mean, the avalanche would have, well, I su- they surprised me with the Dutrushkin contract, but outside of that, most teams like they, you're just closing off so many options. If you hand out a contract like that, just in a silly way. So mm-hmm. I don't know to me. Yeah. I think there could have been a fit with the Islanders. Um, 
I, I, I was kind of throwing out a funny hot take, not to say it made much sense, but I was saying, I mean, if the Leafs were so desperately trying to sauce Kerfoot and Hall out of here, finally, I was like, get the Islanders to retain a Miller 1.5 on uh, Bailey and reunite Tavares and Bailey with like the glory <laughs> days. But I mean, I, I was half joking on that hot yeah. take, but I mean, if it saved like a Miller two for the Leafs and uh, I mean, I don't know if Tavares and Nylander can figure it out with Robertson. We're not going into too much Leafs talk here, but yeah. we are talking well, about let's, a couple let, former let's, Leafs. Yeah, let's move on to uh, to another fill former the, fill the thrill. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> another former Leaf. So I got to give myself. I mean, I, I don't want to pump my tires too much. Here, you called this one. You called this one. I said this back in. I want to say going back into the playoffs. Well, so when Kessel didn't get traded after the deadline, this is when I first brought it up. I said. When Vegas was missing the playoffs, I first brought this up and I said, why on earth did Phil Kessel not get traded before the deadline? This is like a guy that regardless of what you think of him, regardless of like what you think of his ethic, work ethic or, or like fitness or whatever you think of Phil Kessel and you want to make so many jokes. This is a guy that never misses games. This is a guy that in the playoffs is always consistent in terms of production. And a guy that honestly is just fun to watch in the playoffs. Like having Phil Kessel just on Arizona and just, sitting there just whatever he was doing during the summer and i get he had a newborn so i think that was an okay year for phil kessel to be at home with his family but i was going into this offseason i said man he's gotta go he's gotta go to a playoff team and i was yeah. like you know what i could see him signing cheap with one of the florida teams but if he wanted to stay close to arizona stay close to where he's kind of built his home in the last couple of years now a newborn go to vegas man mm -hmm. so i said that after the trade deadline for my free agency prediction video i said if he doesn't go back to arizona Lock in for Vegas. And yes, I entertained Kessel potentially going to like a Calgary Edmonton and even more so when Calgary signed Calgary here. I was like, maybe, but I stood solid on Vegas and I had no sources on that. That was just pure prediction and speculation on my part. And he signed one year, 1.5 mil. So I already talked to so many times on why I think it's a great fit, uh, especially after the stupid patch ready trade, you at least bring yeah. in some scoring back. So what were your thoughts on it? Yeah, I mean, right You've when been a big Kessel guy for yeah, both of us for a while. Yeah, yeah, I'm a big Phil guy. I mean, like, yeah, yeah. We're not gonna get into the Leafs, but he he would have fit. <laughs> but it was never gonna happen. Yeah. We knew that. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I think first things first. When it when it came out, uh, when it came out, when the news broke, uh, I thought, what if what a perfect cheap replacement for what you're losing with Pacioretty. Obviously, it's not apples to apples. Yeah, you're not, not gonna get the same production at all. No, but yeah. no. But but it's but it's some production that you're going to get on on the wing. I think Vegas right now is is starting to with with the contracts they've signed, the money they've given out to Eichel to Petrangelo, they're starting to look a little weaker and thinner on the wings, uh, and and just at forward in general. But I think more so on the wings. And so uh, I think Phil can come in play you know third line. Maybe you'll get some second power play. Uh, you know maybe with some injuries even he's he's further up 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 the line there. But uh, but yeah, I think, I think it's a great fit for Vegas. I think Phil Kessel, he has, the, he has another chance to, to play in the playoffs, which is important because the last couple of years he's been on that, that, whatever that team is doing over there in, in Arizona. Uh, but yeah, I, I think it's, I think it's an unbelievable fit and it's hopefully I get to see some American uh, Phil Kessel, Jack Eichel magic at some point. I mean, we'll see if they play together at all, but yeah. Yeah, that'd be fun. Um, I do want to talk about, so I guess let's talk about three American players here just quickly. So on the Kessel with Eichel, do you think Eichel is going to, let's just rip through a couple things here. Do you yeah. think Eichel is going to bounce back in a way where Vegas can make the playoffs now with, even with the Kessel edition and their goaltending duo of what was just announced for Swa and Logan Thompson, 
Uh, so let's both go through this. And yep. Two, I want us to talk about the Patrick Kane trade rumors here. And I mean, Patrick Kane to the Leafs, Patrick Kane to the Oilers, Patrick Kane to the Flames. It's Patrick Kane headed to Canada. Yep. So we'll talk about that here. And then we'll talk about, obviously, our upcoming guest here, former Chicago Blackhawk and, of course, other teams, uh, Christopher Stieg. So let's first discuss Eichel, Vegas. Are they making the playoffs, do you think? I have them making the playoffs, but it's going to be a grind. It's going to be a grind. I, uh, rapid fire, I think they're making the playoffs, but it's going to be tight. What about you, John? Okay, so for myself right now, yeah, because of their goaltending situation, I have them just on the outside. That was my latest video. And even with the Kessel edition, I think I so badly want to see Kessel in the playoffs. I think for myself right now, I think it's going to be a three-way race between Vancouver, Calgary, and Vegas. The only reason I say that is I just think so you have Edmonton above. You have Edmonton above. I have those. Edmonton above, and I honestly can't see LA ha- taking a step back. LA yeah. made it the playoffs with the team they had, and I can't see them taking a step back, especially with the Fiala edition. Yeah, could be wrong. But, uh, LA would have to have very suspect goaltending to miss the playoffs. Mm-hmm. I think Vancouver has a, as good of a shot as anyone in that Pacific Division if JT Miller stays. We just saw what Calgary did. I think the only thing that would hold Calgary back is just trying to figure things out in the season. If Calgary makes the playoffs, as I as you said, watch out. Absolutely yeah, watch out. Yeah, yeah. And Vegas for me is just a concern on goaltending. So okay, all five so, of those teams are like so hold us to this. Hold us to this. Johnny's got them just out. I got them just in. We'll see. We'll see what it looks like in uh, April. Yeah. All right. Next yeah, one. And things Patty change. Patty, Patty Kane. Kane. Do you think so? The big thing, and I want to pull up three things right now, but I just want to pull it up quickly off my mind. I remember seeing this. Patrick Kane, and he, and he said it twice, twice in his response, not just once, he made it clear twice that, yes, he was upset that the NHL players weren't going to the Olympics, but do you remember what he was more upset about? What's that? Re- refresh my memory. He was extremely upset that he didn't get the chance to play with Austin Matthews. Mm-hmm. He, didn't get to, mm-hmm. he, get, he didn't get the chance to play on Austin Matthews' wing. He brought it up twice like in, the, in response. He said that... And then added to his response and saying that they stay in touch throughout the year. He admires Austin Matthews' shot. They stay in touch, feedback both sides on their skill set. And he recognizes that he's the next big time. I mean, he's the current big time American. Uh, so do you think Bizanet, Paul <laughs> Bizanet's going crazy online. Just <laughs> yeah, he's about, going, he's you're going nuts. out of your mind yeah. if you don't think Dubis is doing it. You see I mean, his, Johnny, Johnny, you see his tweet today. What number, what number is Patty Kane going to wear on the Leafs this year? Yeah. I mean, here's, <laughs> here's, here's my part here. The guy is from Buffalo. Yeah. It's not too far of a trip from Toronto to Buffalo. I'm not buying into this too much. I will, I'll just say that there is enough to point towards that. It's not completely a silly conversation. It's close to Buffalo. He'd play with Austin Matthews. And at the very least, I mean, if the Leafs were trying to trade for him, I can't see Patrick Kane saying no to that idea over what he has yeah. right now yeah so do you see a patrick kane trade one because i've already talked about it a lot yeah and do you see one of the canadian teams including the leafs as a potential i see a patrick kane trade happening yes i think that uh he you know he values being a chicago blackhawk and i think he would like you know i think an option for him is he would like to finish his career there having said that the direction they're going they're really trying to push, in my opinion, Kane and Taze out the door and get this rebuild. Yeah. I mean, they've even talked about Seth Jones moving and they've, they've just signed him. So yeah. uh, I think the Blackhawks, from their perspective, they'd want to trade him. And if the Leafs were on the table, it's really going to come down to, is Kyle Dubas and the Leafs serious about it? Because I think the Leafs and the Blackhawks, they have a good relationship when it comes to trades. 
And I think if Patrick Kane has the opportunity to play with Austin Matthews, he'd for sure jump at that. There's, there, I just cannot see him turning that down. So uh, I think he will get traded. And I think the Leafs, if they want to be in the conversation, they, they could certainly be in it. Uh, but if he gets traded, it will be to a contending team. Yeah, that's my guess. And I'm just saying this because I've said this about recent additions to the Leafs and even Giordano. I know he is actually from Toronto, but the fact that he stayed even after another first round law, uh, exit, I think if Patrick Kane, if the Leafs did trade for him and took that chance and traded prospects, whether it's Matthew Nyes, Robertson, have your opinions out there if you would do that. But what I'm saying is that if they did it and with Patrick Kane, the Leafs show that they could go a couple rounds that gives an incentive to a guy like Patrick Kane that yo, we can freaking do it with this team. Mm-hmm. So that's the big risk. Dubis, I get it. People are like, oh, this guy did the big move with the Kadri trade and the, the Barry and Kerfoot. Oh, Dubis took the big risk with getting Nick Felino. Like, are, are we hearing those? Are we hearing the players that I just that just left my mouth? Sure. Those were those were stupid moves that were coming from big risks, but th- that wasn't a big risk gigantic award this cane trade would be the big risk gigantic award potentially so this is the best this is the best american player of all time like so up till date up to date so what i'm saying is i'm not completely sold on it as a realistic thing and i'm not buying into the rumors yet but in terms of something that the Leafs should go after i mean i don't care if if everyone that still thinks the Leafs. i mean anyone that watched the leafs especially except for one or two games in that tampa series like the Leafs' defense was not the problem like the least defense hasn't been the problem until like go back to the Lamorello days and watch Zaitsev, Connor Carrick and Jake Gardner. No disrespect, disrespect to those guys, but those guys take up minutes versus now seeing guys like Brody, Muzzin, Riley, Giordano take up big minutes. It's night and day. Mm-hmm. So enough with this old story of the least defense being bad. They're above average and it's not necessarily the problem anymore. You need playoff performers. Patrick Kane's a playoff performer performer. So let's move on from that. But I would say if there's an opportunity to do it, you do it. I don't know if it's possible at least. Yep. Um, Okay. Just quickly. And then we'll just go into the Versteeg. We'll get Versteeg on world juniors. How crazy was that McTavish? I mean, just to quickly touch on it. I mean, I was live streaming for it. Were you, were you watching it live and going psychotic? (laughs) Yeah. So I I was watching it live and unbelievable that play by McTavish, but um, I saw a uh, NHL network piece that we did at NHL network that was showing the top um, goal line clearances. And, you know, you think of, uh, was it Ryan Pulak? It was Ryan McDonough. Ryan Pulak. Yeah. yeah. So that you think of ones like that. Right. And there was one, it was, it was on an empty net or it was in Florida, but there, there's, I've seen a handful of these, but this McTavish one is, is pretty <laughs> next level. Is insane. Like, yeah. It might be the grand time conference. of the game. It's, it's, yeah. it's yeah. insane. And then, and the think, fact that under a minute later or a minute later, or two minutes later, whatever it was, yeah. they go back the yeah. and score is so, insane. And I mean, unbelievable. I think it wasn't talked about enough that besides all that happening, like McTavish and Bedard spent what the first three minutes of overtime on the ice. Yeah. <laughs> like McTavish looked like he had some bricks next to his feet after that, that whole but segment, So look, look out for McTavish this year. That's no, oh. that's for Anaheim. I think, I don't, I don't know about, we were just talking about their division, the Pacific division. I don't necessarily see Anaheim, um, you know, pushing for playoffs, but I think McTavish is going to have a breakout year for sure. Oh, he could definitely be up for Calder. Um, yeah. yeah, so we'll see what happens. And uh, yeah, just to move into the Versteeg conversation again, guys, honestly, super thankful we're going to be able to get Versteeg on this episode. Uh, I, one of those players that I, I would say, 
I had a lot of like favorite players that I, I up front at least like I liked watching Versteeg, like Lupel was another guy I liked mm-hmm. watching and guys that were part of a lot of successful teams and, and Versteeg, what I mean, a lot, a lot of people could say their stops with Toronto weren't successful, but outside of that Versteeg was still a guy that was significant enough uh, to produce on good teams and, and obviously Chicago would be a part of it. So uh, we're going to bring Versteeg on Lucas, any, kind of thoughts or any uh anything to say before we get into this first Steve chat and talk to Chris I'm just really excited for you guys to see it uh I'm hyped to to talk to a former Leaf player and a former NHLer who had great success so let's do it let's send it over to Chris yep let's chat with Chris and talk about the two cops talk about some uh latest NHL news and talk about his uh, new company clever let's talk to Chris for Steve hey everybody welcome we're introducing Right here, I'd like to introduce our special guest to the Hot Take Hockey Podcast. This former NHLer played in 14 seasons across seven different teams, and he's a two-time Stanley Cup champion with the Chicago Blackhawks. Let's welcome Chris Versteeg to the show. Chris, how's it going? Yeah, thanks for having me. Good to see you. Good to see you. Thanks for coming aboard. Yeah, uh, yeah so I remember I listened to the Spit and Chicklets podcast a few years back, and you threw out the idea of this, this app that you're, you're now working on, Clever, uh, with your brother. Uh, and it's great to see that it's come to fruition and it's really, you know, blossoming now. Uh, how about you touch on it for, for our fans and stuff and just talk about what clever brings. Yeah, it's actually crazy. There was nothing basically prior to spit and chicklets. There was no tech. Um, we didn't have a roadmap. We didn't, we had an idea, me and my buddy, but we didn't know if we were actually going to go out and try to execute it. And I remember talking at spit and chicklets. It was about creating a two-way communication more efficiently between a coach and a parent coach and athlete and a coach and a coach like those those three pillars Mm -hmm. and that process before basically used to take me about an hour so when I retired kids would send me video it'd take me about an hour and I'd be on two to three different platforms in order to get the video back to them and what we've tried to do is streamline that process of a clip edit and share and basically what used to take an hour um, just to do a, a 30 or 40 second edited video or annotated video on two to three platforms. Now I could edit and look at 36 kids shots. So I could edit wow. 36 kids in under an hour. So that's just the speed and, and the efficiency of what clever is now the, the video sharing to be, to be able to draw and voice it over. You can pull two videos up at one time and it's just real efficient. It's for all sports and fitness. Obviously we've entered the market through hockey um, being the most natural progression, but we want it to be for all sports and fitness. And I, I think we're on our way. We have about nine sports on the platform. Hockey's our, our biggest one. And I'm very proud of that because hockey is obviously uh, very near and dear to my heart for, for numerous reasons, as you know, but uh, it's just crazy. Yeah. You look back to spit and checklists, there's literally nothing. It was an idea and it was more of a frustration with me and a problem in the market of something that wasn't there. And that's what we've tried to do is solve a, solve a problem that when we've talked to hundreds and hundreds of coaches and thousands of parents and athletes, they all had the same problem. Awesome. Awesome. Good start there. Uh, yeah. I, I wanted to ask more about it in, in detail too. Um, in terms of, you know, I think it's, it's such a valuable tool. It seems like for kids and, and uh, people getting into sports, but then also refining skills and, and particular skills, whether it be shot or whatever. Um, so as far as this tournament that you, you alluded to when we were talking offline there, uh, what, what's this tournament bring uh, when it comes to tomorrow? I believe that's tomorrow for you, you were saying. Yeah, so the Clever Young Kings, that's my uh, academy program. We work with kids the age five all the way to nine. And Clever's used literally every day. 
So just uh, a couple of examples is we have digital whiteboards. I'll take the digital whiteboards. I'll send the practice plans. It's basically a whiteboard. You can move it around, turn it around, draw on it, voice it over, send it to your coaches rather than before it'd be like a piece of paper, mm -hmm. you know, and then you write it on the side yeah. or you'd be videoing yourself drawing on a whiteboard, you know, now you can throw that all out. Um, you can just do this and send your practice plans. We also use it for capturing highlights because we have this camera record function where you can record for five minutes. If nothing happens and a kid doesn't score a goal, you don't tap this K button. It's a clip button and it goes back 5, 10, 15, 20 seconds, whatever you want the clip length to be. And it'll delete the first four minutes, four and a half minutes. So again, we'll have a parent record the entire game. If there's five goals at the end of the game, that parent will have recorded roughly between 10 and 30 seconds of video. They'll be able to share all the highlights to the players. Not only that, I have them record certain teachable moments that we want to teach the kids. So at night, they'll send me the clips. I'll draw on them, voice them over, and send them to all the parents for teachable moments, right? And then, like you said, the other pieces of the game, skill refinement, shot refinement. You know, you have your athletes send you, they're shooting in the driveway. You can tell them and give them a few tidbits, things and details that they wouldn't know prior. And if you look at technique, it's better to have a kid shoot 10 pucks, not the mentality maybe, not for mentality, you want a kid to go out and shoot 500 pucks, but just yep. if you think of technique, it's better to have a kid shoot 10 pucks correctly than a hundred wrong, right? Because the, the improvement you're gonna make will be significant rather than shooting it wrong. So mm -hmm. that's what we try to do is create the right technique, show them because it's actually about a 60% higher retention rate if an athlete or someone in fitness can see what they're doing and then change the mechanic and change what they're doing. So if they can start to retain the information at a younger age, create the technique at a younger age, then obviously you can stack other skills on top of that much faster than at 10, 12, 14, if you get these players and it's like, oh, we got to learn how to shoot now. When you, you got to correct, yeah, you, you have to exactly. correct, recorrect stuff they've learned all these years as kids. All of it, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So now it's like, well, let's get on to the next thing that they're doing well or, or or struggling at, right? So that's what we're hoping, especially with Clever and working with these young athletes, especially with my programs. By the time they get to 10, 11, 12, they already have the good technique. They're working well. Um, again, they're always going to be refining and improving. Some players are better at a young age because of athleticism and some are touched by the hand of God, like, you know, Connor McDavid, there's yeah. just certain guys and certain kids that have it, but others need that help. And then with clever, it's just incredible. It's incredible how many kids, how fast you can help and how much improvement you see them make over a short amount of time with the video correction. Awesome. Uh, just to throw a question at you, Chris, obviously regarding your company, but being a former player, how has it worked out in terms of communication, like bringing other guys on? So I just recently saw you brought on uh, Peter Budai. So like, how has that communication been and just like kind of the relationships and obviously a lot of players you communicated and interacted with over the years, has that been kind of pretty easy in that sense? Or is there a lot of kind of channels or levels to that communication and bringing guys on? Yeah, there's a lot of channels and levels. We've actually had I would say about 50 X NHLers that, that have came on the app that have children and they just want to use it with their kids to be able to say, Hey, look at you at this shift or look at this and that. So we have about 50 on Peter Budai. Um, again, I don't want to speak for him, but he actually just reached out through our verification coach verification mess, uh, method. And uh, I I've never known Peter. I've messaged him and I would love to hop on with him and really show him how to utilize it. Cause he is a goalie coach. So uh, I would love to have him in our coaches marketplace as well. Again, that's uh, something that we're going to have to talk about, but guys like Peter, they found us obviously uh, through friends and family and, and maybe third parties, but a lot of the other guys, you know, Andrew Ladd, 
I'll just call him and be like, hey, do you want to try the app out? And he tried it with his kids. He loved it. And now he's an investor and clever, right? So it's it's really interesting. Again, you got to go through different channels to get to certain guys, but guys that are close in your inner circle, you just ask them to try it. And once they use it and they see the benefits, then they start using it more and they tell their friends. And then again, you hope over time it gets more of that network effect where more players can come on because we actually do have a, um, a very... Uh, well, it's like a cameo feature within our app, right? It's very similar. It's different, but it's similar in the same yeah. way that you could reach out to Chris Versteeg and have him say good luck to your U7 team before a game, yeah. right? You can reach out to uh, a local WHL player who's a celebrity there. And if everyone loves him in that community, you could reach out to him, say, hey, can you reach out to my U8 team and say good luck today, right? So we're actually trying to onboard a lot of these athletes in small areas to get them on to um, be giving, you know, you know, they could sell their services. It could be 5, 10, 15, 20 bucks, whatever they, they demand the price, but also making them connect to the grassroots programs more, make them more connect with the community, give them another sense of revenue. And that's what we're trying to really show these athletes, especially the East Coast athletes and retired athletes like you can come on clever now and you have another sense of or, uh, another revenue stream. Mm -hmm. You can have a passive revenue stream in the sense that you can create drill packs and packs as well that you could sell that. Uh, if you create the content, you put it on there, people could buy it from you. So it's, again, there's a lot of different pieces to this and reaching out to other athletes. But I think again, just getting out there, telling players the network effect and obviously coming on shows like yourself to that helps get it into their hands. Awesome. I mean, Speaking as a kid who, who grew up playing hockey here in Canada uh, and as someone who wasn't very good at hockey, uh, I think this would have been a great tool for someone like myself to, you know, help refine my skills at a young age and put myself on a better path. But, uh, you know, taking it back to when you were, you know, first breaking into uh, your junior career, I, I know that you played defense uh, in junior a little bit there, or was it all through junior? I just wanted to, to ask how it was that transition from defense to forward. Yeah, I'll touch on the defense. You're talking about yourself not being a good player, though. I do <laughs> yeah. want to touch on that. It's yeah. for everyone, right? Mm -hmm. Obviously, you teeter it or you have the tools in there that'll help certain athletes get to next levels, but it's also there to capture everyone's moment, that camera function. So we have all athletes on it. So back to that's why I just want to make sure it's not just for the elite. Yes. The delay. You want to make sure this is for everyone and Clever is. It's a free app and it's for everyone, um, but it will help you share moments as well. Um, now I'm done selling the, uh, <laughs> so back to my career though, yeah. uh, it was kind of funny. So I played deep, uh, a lot in roller hockey, basically from the age of 12 to 17. And I played center as a 16 year old center as a 17 year old wing as an 18 year old. And I played D though, basically up till I was 11 as well in minor hockey, mm -hmm. but, uh, going to the Reb deer rebels, a bunch of players got hurt. Uh, Brent was in team Canada cause he was coaching team Canada in that 0405 or the 05 year. And uh, Dallas Gom came in the room. We had 3D get hurt. He's like, has anyone played D before? Right. This is like end of October, start of November. And I'm like, I play it in roller hockey. He's like, you're on, you're playing D. And I'm like, all right. And I played pretty good that day. And then I ended up playing the rest of the year. And I remember Brent saying like, if you come back to Red Deer, right. If you come back to Red Deer, I will turn you into a demon and I can guarantee you, I can get you an NHL contract. I still remember the, the talk with him, right? He's like, I wow. think I can get you an NHL contract, but it'll be as a demon, not as a forward. Um, so I played the rest of the year as D. I didn't think Boston really liked me much anymore. I, you know, they drafted me as a forward. I didn't think yep. I was going to sign there. But what happened is they brought me into Providence, turned me back to a forward at the start 
or when I got brought up as a 19 year old and I played really well as a forward. And then Boston offered me a league minimum uh, signing bonus and a contract with the Bruins. And I was kind of shocked, right? I basically finished that year thinking I was coming back to Red Deer as a D-man, played really good over a month and a half span in Providence, worked for an NHL contract and had to flip my, um, my positioning again. But playing D was, I mean, I think it helped me understand the game and the mm-hmm. work rate and see the ice differently and understand the game to another level. And I, I do, you know, it hurt me and how much money I got because I would have loved to get a hundred points as a forward, right. Mm-hmm. And light it up and play run and gun. And so it hurt me in my pocket, you know, as a signing bonus, but I think it helped my pocket in the long end or in the long run, because it taught me so many more valuable lessons about the game mm-hmm. that I took into the pros that I would basically, um, take from that and then implement it into my game. And then I would be playing D on the power play in Toronto. I played D on the power play in Chicago and Calgary. Right. So there's so many positives that came out of it. I was very short-sighted in that time of it. I'm like, ah, you know, I'm playing D I'm going to get screwed out of a big bonus. And that's when you used to make a million bucks as a, as a rookie bonus. And I was yeah. never going to get that, but you get a heck of a lot more than you are now. Right. So mm-hmm. Um, that's how I remember thinking, but you know, when it all came to fruition at the end, you look back and you're very grateful for that lesson and, and everything Brent did for me. Chris. So with, uh, obviously you talked a lot about clever and, uh, you have your kids or fam, do you still kind of keep in touch with, uh, like outside even clever, do you keep in touch with a lot of guys you played with and do you still kind of follow the, the league and just talking in general on a obviously on a professional aspect. Cause I know obviously you keep in touch with hockey on the grassroots level a lot right now. And obviously with your kids, but do you follow along with the NHL? Oh yeah. I follow along, especially with the flames, Oilers and Leafs, just mm-hmm. because, you know, flames, I had, I had a lot of really good friends and I actually still do. Huberto lived at my house as a rookie in Florida. Wow. So now he's with the, with the flames. So I always follow flames, Oilers and Leafs and I always will. And I'm, I'm hoping, you know, maybe to get back into a little bit of media this year. I don't know how much I can dedicate myself to with clever and with the young Kings and everything we have going on, but yeah, I, I love following the league. I like following the up and coming young players. I got to meet Trevor Zegras at the skills competition this year. Um, just a great kid. Uh, what a talent. I wish they would have celebrated what he did on the ice a little bit more at the yeah. event. Yeah. What he did was insanely special and it should be celebrated. I think those are moments that the NHL misses. And I still currently do think uh, I love the NHL. It's given me everything I had, but I just think the athletes and everything we have, it should be so much bigger. Mm-hmm. It should be so much broader. And a lot of it should go into Big grassroots time. programs into other countries. Um, there should be, money poured into grassroots programs to lower the cost because at the end of the day you're going to lower the cost now but you're going to create better product and you're going to have more money in the back end right obviously these guys are big businessmen and i don't need to tell them that but i think that a lot of these people who've tried to make the game bigger have been handcuffed for far too long Mm -hmm. so um i just want to see the game celebrated more so when guys like zgrass do what they did it should be celebrated like yeah. there's guys standing up going nuts you think of all the greatest slam dunk contests what were those guys doing right yeah, yeah. you know they're all grabbing each other like oh you know this is wild like that's that's how wild that was right like it should have been celebrated by the judges by the panels by everyone and everyone was like oh what a-. you know i'm like what is going on here so I just think there's another level our game, even continually watching, we need to go to, and we got to accept that 
you know, the game is hard. It's fast. It could even be more talented, right? I still think there's some ways that they can open the game up even more uh, to make it more exciting. And I, I think it can go there, but it also has to come from, you know, the people at the top allowing the creativity um, of the players and the personalities. Like, why is there no Netflix thing for, for the NHL? You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, look what F like what what's happened with F one like F one's barely followed and now they're dropping series left and right and people are just completely busted. F one was done like in, not done but like man the the following of F one was not there right they didn't have the younger fans they didn't have the under younger audience they went into Netflix like the NHL should be at the doorstep willing to sell um, the players sell the personalities and create um you know content for them to see again yeah we can go on instagram all we want and do live that doesn't matter yeah it's really well done well crafted um storylines they want to see what what netflix did and amazon did it to a little bit but it still was not that well done the leaf yeah it was still the leaf series (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. it's like still like the cameras didn't even look legit all the time you know like the camera work like when you're watching the f1 it's like you're captivated by the incredible camera work and um, they did incredible jobs telling stories and they just, they they have not done that. I'm like, how has the NHL not jumped two feet into trying to do something like this? Yeah. It's unbelievable that F1 has like boomed because of that Netflix series. And I know so many people in in John and I's age demographic that like had no interest in, uh, in F1. And now it's, now it's such a big thing because of that. So totally agree. The NHL has got to lean into that and sell uh, those special players and those special personalities, like an Austin Matthews, like a Trevor Zegris, uh, these, these type of guys. Um, yeah. What's the worst p- that can happen? Yeah. P- pivoting a little back to, to Calgary. Uh, Cause I know you mentioned that you follow the flames a little bit and uh, uh, you were roommates with Jonathan Huberdeau. Uh, as far as the flames look uh, just, just your reaction to, you know, the trade landing Huberdeau and Uyghur and then now signing Kadri, bringing him aboard. I know you played with him a little bit in Toronto. And uh, even just, you also played with Monaghan. So and Monaghan. quite a few players. Yeah, and then yeah. we, we were even joking earlier in the show before bringing you on. It's like Kessel just signs with Vegas. Like a bunch yeah. of your former guys you played with are just in the news lately. Uh, all, all the older guys. Um, it's just crazy. I have a pretty big trade tree, right? I don't even want to look at it. I know someone <laughs> tried to show me at one time. I'm like, don't even show me it. Um, yeah, I try to act like it doesn't exist. But the Flames... <laughs> It was obviously losing Johnny and someone who's that creative uh, offensively and dynamic hurts the team. I was questioning the whole time if, if how he would do under Daryl, obviously he flourished under Daryl the second go around, not the first go around, but I questioned that. So um, Jonathan Huberto to me seems more of a a Daryl type of player, just a guy that's a little more straightforward. He plays the game a little more straightforward, a little less risk to his game. So I think he's a little bit more Daryl style player. Now, again, going into a team, high expectations first year, it's always hard to perform. That's the thing. That's a bit of the problem. So I always kind of look at how will these two players do in year two for the Flames? They could come in and they could blow the doors off. They could be better. Will they be better than they were last year? I don't think so. I don't think they'll be as good as they were uh, with a comfortable Huberto or with a comfortable Goudreau and a comfortable Kachuk. Mm -hmm. I think, and again, Kadri coming off a cup run, not as much time to train. He broke his hand. I just think they will be good. They're going to be a hard game. They're going to make the playoffs. 
but I think this team's really going to be a better team in, in another year from now. I know Huberto's, you know, he'll be 31 then and Kadri as well. But I just, I look at that second year with these two as the year to win it. You know, this year as well. They have to try to win it this year. They have especially, to to especially with Uyghur as well. Like he's on yeah. his last year of his deal. I mean, they got to go for it this year, but yeah. You got to go for it this year. I agree. I just yeah. think if, if I'm looking at the realistic possibility, mm-hmm. I think it's year two with this team. Um, I hope the cap goes up in year two and maybe there's a little more spend they can do and their team, their team's right there. I think they are close. I just think getting out against Edmonton and maybe a healthy Vegas, um, is obviously very tough, but they're, they're a good team. They're right there with them. I just don't know if they'll be at the exact level they were last year. So Chris, you had your, uh, you had your two stints with the Hawks and obviously a couple cups to show for, um, Obviously, looking at that situation right now, do you still follow the team a bit? And obviously, a, a lot has happened with the team. And now Kane and Tabes, like what's going to happen there? Um, I don't know if you've been following along lately, but Kane, Bizanek going crazy saying, you're crazy to think Kane and Dubas is not going to go after Kane for Toronto. Like, have you been following kind of that storyline? And like, what was it to play with two players like Kane and Tabes win cups and to yeah. kind of see that situation now, I guess? They're two of the most special people I know. They, you know, I owe almost everything I have to them, right? Besides all the work and effort I put into it. But when you're a young player and you get dropped into a situation to play with two of the best and most clutch players of all time, and they, you know, you win two Stanley Cups with them and you're allowed to be called the Stanley Cup champion because of them, I'm very grateful. I always said, you know, if it wasn't for them, I'd still be standing at the back of a line getting into a bar, right? And so I'm very, very thankful for Kane and Taze every day and the people they are and everything they've done to me and, the, and uh, you know, the people they've become. They've been through a lot, both of them. And at the end of the day, all they've ever wanted to do is help people, help their friends, help kids, give back. I don't think people quite understand the hearts these guys have and everything they give each and every day into the community and into their game, into their craft to make their fans happy. So I haven't followed the Hawks too much in the last bit i saw a little bit at uh um where was it the uh was it the draft when they draft gave yeah so when i saw they the traded draft. kirby doc yeah they traded doc they traded yep. to bring it um yep. those are pieces obviously they're trying to go younger it's you know obviously doc is only 21 i wonder what they thought his upside was is that's probably the problem right what is doc's true upside and what are we going to yep. get from him in two years rather than this year so that trade for me is still yet to be determined. You know, that's like, <clears throat> I don't know what his upside is now. You know, I have no idea. He's a very good player. He's talented, but will he garner a, a 12th overall pick in, in two years? I have no idea. So I get what the Hawks are doing. I understand what the Hawks are doing, but I, I don't really follow them uh, too much right now, to be honest. It's more the teams here. Do you have an opinion on that though? Do you think they should retire there or with all the Patty Kane trainers right now? <laughs> yeah. And I, I haven't talked to Kane and Taze. I, and again, when I was a little in the media, I watched how I talked to them as well, just because they're players and I don't want them exactly. to be crying at them. Right. Mm-hmm. So when I, when I was a part of the media, so when, when I would talk to them, it was honestly never about hockey. It was just, Hey, how's the family? How are you doing? Congrats on your kid. And Still to this day, you know, I get all my friends messaging me about Kane coming to Toronto, especially from out here where, you know, I live here now and people are going nuts. And I said, any American player wanting to come to Canada in today's climate is crazy. I would never come playing Canada. (laughs) 
just to be brutally yeah. honest, right? No, fair enough. Not, fair not even just not even just from like a financial perspective. No. You mean beyond that, obviously. Well, yeah. again, it depends like how much money is going to change my life. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Is the money coming to play in Canada? Um, having issues at borders, family coming. There's just zero chance American players. I mean, maybe he does. I've never talked to him about this, but if I was, this is me talking. I would ever come play in Canada in this climate. There's just no chance. It's just, you can't get your family across at times. You can't do this. It's like, well, what the hell is going on? So if you're an American player and you want to see your family throughout the year and you want to do things and you want to live your life, well, then you got to go back to the States. So if I was an American player, there's zero chance I'd come play in Canada unless it was life, life-changing money, right? Mm-hmm life-changing money if it was like you know if i'm going to get five million here and four million here five hundred thousand here five hundred thousand there i am not coming to canada there's no chance so that's just my my true opinion of what i believe now what they do i have no idea i don't think i do think that both of them this is my own perspective on it i do think both of them should leave chicago prior to the season i just think when you go to a team mid-season you're never comfortable you're never fully comfortable um again it always depends i don't know what their roadmap is for their careers or what they want to do but i know for me i'd want to be at the new team at training camp getting used to the guys getting used to the city getting used to the systems at the start of the at the camp so if they ever heard this which they 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 don't give a shit what i think which they shouldn't but uh i would tell them to get out and go you know to where they'd want to go now rather than wait to the trade deadline now there's always all things that play into did you know kids family um logistics even if you do they want to do it i have no idea never talked to them about it so there's a lot of other things at play but i just know from a comfortability factor um that's what i'd want to do well i'm being through it right i, I think uh was there not the time i think it was from yeah. the panthers to the blackhawks if my memory yeah. is correct where you got traded mid-season and to the kings right and the kings, so yeah. to a new team yeah and the biggest thing especially with those guys like i'm a big i'm a player that always did well when i was comfortable because i i relied on a lot of small plays adding up to a big play so like a little mm-hmm. chip pass a little you know backhand pass through skates or just something that you need to be comfortable to make those plays. And when you're on a new team and you have these expectations, you're coming in, you're filling a role. You might not have the same role as your other team. You might not have the same ice time. It just, it, it's a very hard mental transition. Now that's why sometimes at the deadline, when you see these guys brought in that don't have to have the expectations and they're just brought in and sometimes they're given more of a role, that's why they succeed, right? Cause they almost come into this new team with a mindset like, well, I'm probably not going to play as much. Or I'm not expected to be this guy or that. So, you know, Andrew Kopp goes to Rangers. He's expected just to be a depth guy. He ends up playing on the second line, right? It's a bit of a different mindset. But if you're going as more of a top guy or a guy that's expected to make plays and be in the top six, I think it's a little more tough to make that transition midseason. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I was just going to add just, yeah, you're talking to two Toronto guys here. Obviously, we remember a lot of what you did with Chicago and stuff, but we were also joking out like joking around before that the one memory we had from you watching you play for uh toronto was uh i think it was what was it lucas it was like a minute left toronto it was the bruins yeah it was, it was tabulae bruins. slid yeah. across point shot and then you tucked it back door i, yeah. I remember getting pretty amped on that one yeah that was the last minute it was and then tim thomas came and swung his stick i think yeah it was pretty cool uh i mean man i I loved playing in Toronto. It was good. It was just tough because we weren't the best team. I was coming from a Stanley cup winning team. You're coming here. And then 
you're in the fishbowl of hockey and you're just not the best team, but we had a bunch of great guys. I had a, I had an enjoyable experience here. I thought it was, it sucked that it, it didn't get a last forever. I wish I would have stayed in Toronto rather than go to Philadelphia um, at the time and, and still do. I, I looked at it as a pretty good experience. I was just starting to get rolling. I think I had 31 points in my last 32 games. I was just feeling good. And then I, you know, you end up getting traded and that's another mid-season trade. You're going to a team that's expected to win a cup. You're taking guys ice time. Like I still remember, you know, taking one guy's ice time on the power play and they weren't that happy about it. And then you as a player are like, oh man, I didn't come in here to piss my teammate off, you know? So mm -hmm. yeah. it's a tough transition uh, to make. And then, you know, then I end up basically not playing power play for the Flyers. So it's like, because you don't want to rock the boat either so you don't say shit so you're just like all right I'll just come in here and do what I got to do but then the fans all expected me to come in and score so it's mm -hmm. like it, it was a tough transition but I was happy for the experience but I wish I would have stayed in Toronto that year I really do and wish I would have tried to finish it out with them yeah I remember when you had uh, signed with the Leafs like you were alluding to it before but you relied as a player on uh, a lot of the small things and you were very effective uh offensively as well but just like the small things chipping pucks uh being hungry on pucks phys playing physical uh so yeah when you came to the Leafs as a Leaf fan I, I was I was stoked and through the moon about it obviously the Leafs weren't a great team like you said at the time and uh it's unfortunate but as far as Phil Kessel goes I want to touch on Phil Kessel quickly because he's on uh you know he's just moved to Vegas uh one what was it like playing with Phil like the personality and, and the hockey player and then uh, what do you think about that fit for Kessel on on Vegas he is one of the best guys, honestly. He was my roommate in Toronto. And I still remember when I was traded, we were in Boston. Um, I landed in Boston, told the guys I got traded, went to Philly, obviously, or I went to Tampa Bay that night. And then Phil got, where was he? He got interviewed, I think, in the lobby of the hotel. And I could see it on his face. They're like, how do you feel about the Chris trade? And, you know, and he was just like, I'm not good about it. You know, I lost one of my good friends. And I was like, you know, right then and there, I was like, oh, I love you, Phil. You're a good guy, you know? And me and him roomed together first three quarters of the season. We told jokes. We laughed. Um, we had a great time together. But, you know, that moment when I saw that interview, he could have really said anything and he could have done just something by the book and said whatever. But he said something that was honest and it meant a lot to me. So I'm, I'm very uh, uh, thankful for Phil for the friendship. He was again, the funniest guy. I've, I've told numerous stories. I think you've heard on spit and chicklets about him always being like, Oh, my eyes, the, yeah. blind, the sun's coming in, you know, in the morning, just, it was like constant stuff like that, where I'd be like, Phil stand up and close the blinds. He's like, you close them. And I'd be like, his bed would be right next to the, the blinds and mine would be on near the washroom. Right. Yeah. Just stuff like that. But it was uh, constant comedy. Um, but at the end of the day, how many games has he played? Right. He's played yeah. 17 years. Unbelievable. I think, I think he's at nine eighty something straight right now. Right. So he's about to push the Ironman street coming into the year. Yeah. He's, yeah. I mean, it's, it's insanity. I couldn't string a hundred games together, you know, just with injury and sickness and just everything being scratched later on. Right. There's just so many things. And the fact that he's doing this and especially Phil, like his body yep. people made fun of or his, his personality or whatever it may be. The fact that he is just crushing it is, is amazing. And, you know, it couldn't happen to one, a better guy. Yeah. And then, so what are your thoughts on him joining, joining the golden Knights? Now? Oh yeah. The golden yeah. Knights. I think it's interesting. I think the golden Knights, um, well, they're a mess, right? They, sure. uh, them letting flurry go 
for me was one of the stupidest moves I've ever seen. So dumb. Just stupid. You brought in again. I, I don't know Robin Leonard that well. I was with him at a camp. He's a nice guy, but you brought in Leonard, who is, you know, he had one good year for five and a half, and you let Flurry go at seven. And Flurry was still playing up to his pay grade, up to his contract. And he loved being in, in Vegas. So I just thought they got too greedy at that moment, right? They had two goalies. They should have probably kept Flurry. They got greedy, hoping that, you know, uh, Leonard could do what Flurry does. And obviously that hasn't come fruition yet. And he's had injuries. So it's not Robin Leonard's fault as well. But you had the guy there, right? You had this guy. And I think that's where the downfall of, of the Vegas Golden Knights is technically gone, is in that goalie crease. Now you look at them this year, there's Thompson. So now when you look at Phil, I like I think he's going to help. I think he's going to add depth. I think he's going to be a little reinvigorated. He's going to have excitement to come to the rink every day where in Arizona, you're like, geez, let this game end. You know, yeah. five minutes into the game, he's probably like, get me out of here. Yeah. Horrible. You know, that's what... <laughs> I'm almost certain that's what it was like. And, you know, now you go to Vegas, they have a good team. You hope that energy comes back to the city. It's an incredible city, but I mean, how many goals does Phil have to score to help the goaltending out? I don't know. So if the goalies are good, if they're good enough, that team can make the playoffs. But if the goalies aren't good, uh, you know, you're going to see another season like this. Man, I really hope they throw Kessel on that power play with Eichel, Stone, oh, yeah. Trangelo. That would be unreal. Yeah. Chris, thank you honestly so much for coming on. I, we really appreciate the time and to be able to talk about Clever, uh, give us some more info on it. And for myself and I, I'm sure Lucas as well, well, we'll definitely keep an eye on your progress on that and the company and what you got, you and your brothers got going on. But again, we do really appreciate the time. You tell us a few stories as well. And uh, obviously coming on the Hot Take Hockey Show, we appreciate it. Yeah, and I'm very thankful for anyone who's willing to give a platform to especially my company and you know, as you guys know, there's a lot of work that goes into it. So uh, thank you guys very much for giving us a platform to speak about it. Of course. Yeah. Let's stay in touch and uh, we'll, we'll be in touch and speak again in the future for sure. Yeah. Reach out anytime. Right. Awesome. Thanks, Chris. Have a good day. Later, guys. Thank you so much, guys, for watching. From Lucas and myself, John, the Viveros boys got you coming with a big show this season and with the live streams with the video content but now the big show we're excited to bring some guests we're excited to bring a lot of excitement and we're excited to bring the big show for this season so have a good one we'll chat soon and look out for the episodes to come peace